What does pranayama mean? <laughs> Pierce said extension of breath. Sometimes you see, um, usually you will see it broken down pretty simply. Prana meaning life force or something like that. And yama meaning to control or, do we say to control? Yeah, the arrangement. Yeah. And then sometimes they'll also say they don't really mean control, they mean to extend or to lengthen. And uh, both are really true. And as Nasita said, uh, it is definitely, in most cases anyway, somehow related to breathing practices. You can't actually build prana without breathing or not associated to the breath. But the way we, the way we are able to feel it, so to speak, most easily is through breathing. Uh, just meditating and really practicing pratyahara, bringing your awareness inside, is another way to build prana. When our awareness is outside watching TV or driving a car or working on a computer, those are all actually ways of, of losing prana. Uh, you lose a lot of, actually, you lose a lot of prana through your eyes. Just by taking in sensory information, you lose prana. But the way, like I said, the way we associate it to prana or feel it, so to speak, mostly is through our breath. And yeah, at some point we actually do work on controlling it. Picking up the yamas and the yamas. They say that the restraints, sometimes they call them. So we are, it's restraining is the best word, but we're controlling and actually working at some point on stopping the breath to some extent. But first what we need to do is lengthen it. We need to make it long and smooth before we begin to work on stopping it for periods of time. I just spoke to someone who was saying that some teachers don't, will not practice, uh, teach pranayama. And they say that it's dangerous to practice. And uh, I, I've heard that quite a bit throughout my, my yoga career, I guess we could say. So let's first talk about who should practice pranayama. Who, who should and could practice pranayama? That, you know, some systems of yoga, especially the ones that have set sequences, say that we, hey, you need to do this sequence first, then you can do this sequence, and then there's this pranayama sequence, and you need to stick to those sequences. In those cases, if you were practicing that type of yoga, that style of yoga, then that might be the case. You need to get to some level of expertise before you do this sequence, because the one I'm thinking of anyway is a really, really intense, long pranayama sequence with a lot of breath retention. So what we do here at Tejas is a little bit different. We don't have set sequences. We think we have teachers. We feel we have teachers who can create an appropriate sequence for the group in class. So they'll be similar. Like my classes are always somewhat similar, but they're always a little bit different too, depending on who's in class, what time of year it is, what time of day it is. And then just like that applies for the postures we do. It also applies for the breathing practices we do. So. Um, Yes, there, there really is an appropriate pranayama practice for every person. It could be the simplest restorative pranayama practice ever, or it could be a more intense one where we do breath retentions and long um, inhales and exhales, and doing different things with our fingers and our tongue and our eyes and all different crazy stuff. So there, there really is one for everyone, but we just need to be careful of what we choose to practice ourselves or to teach to those, those people. What? What do I mean by what? So in a moment, when we go through the different techniques, we will talk more about what pranayama practices are appropriate for which people. What pranayama practices are appropriate for me? What pranayama practices are appropriate for my mom, who doesn't practice much yoga? 
what pranayama is appropriate for my dad doesn't practice any yoga so we'll get into which ones are appropriate for who oh this next one's good why why do we want to practice pranayama is it still the mind yeah Mary gets the gold star that's, that's the one I was waiting for those all were for sure true cooling heating to wake up to go to sleep calm the nervous system um, ultimately though to still the mind uh, last month, I think it was, when I did the workshop on Hatha Yoga Pradipika, I mentioned that in that last chapter on Samadhi, they numerous times, um, probably 10 times, out of the, I don't know, 50 verses, probably 10 of the verses are on when the prana stops, the chitta stops. When one is eradicated, the other, the other is eradicated. When the, basically saying that we're working toward, at some point, making, making the mind very, very still. And to do that, one way of doing that is to first stop, slow down and stop the breath for periods of time. Now this takes quite a bit of practice because if you're first beginning, or even if you practice quite a bit of pranayama, um, when you, and you're not really ready to get to that point, then when you stop breathing, you actually, your mind actually speeds up and you panic a little bit because you're not breathing. But with enough practice and preparation, those times when you stop the breath is when your mind also becomes totally focused at one point and to some point stops. Stops moving anyway. So that's in the long run that's kind of what we are going toward. That's why they they you know, started doing this kind of stuff because they needed some help with stilling their mind. It just wasn't happening if they sat still for a long time. But they found if they were work, working with the breath first in ways to bring about balance but then in ways to for a long, longer period of time, stopping, maybe after inhale and or exhale, the mind would tend to follow. Yeah, so some of the mind is just, uh, the final answer in a good one. Okay, how about where? Where should we practice? Where's the ideal place to practice pranayama? Just like geographically speaking. Maybe not geographically, but... <laughs> City, wilderness, desert... Okay. Cave. Where's the where is the place to practice pranayama? Somewhere quiet that has hair. It has hair. It has hair. Um, so not the moon. Isn't it anywhere and all the time? If you can. Well, if you're in the middle of the cold flat, you would want to practice there. Oh, that's true. Are we talking about ideal? Ideal. Ideal. Sure, ideal place in the in, in, in the Hatha Yoga Pradipika and other texts, they first they describe uh, the proper place for practicing yoga and really referring to quite a bit of practicing pranayama. And it's always someplace uh, not too close to a city, someplace not too close to or close to running water, and someplace with no windows and no cracks so bugs can't get in and bother you. There's a fly in a 10 o'clock class this morning at once every single person, I think. That, that, that's the ideal place. A city like Chicago is not the ideal place to practice pranayama because there's so much. First of all, it's not the cleanest air in the world. Not the worst, but it's not the cleanest. So much uh, movement, movement around us. It's not the ideal place, which doesn't mean we can't practice pranayama. It just means that we probably shouldn't stick to the more traditional way of practicing pranayama. We're going to need to alter it a little bit. Traditionally, you know, you practice pranayama, you work towards the, the ratio one, four, two, which means you're 
holding the breath four times as long as you inhale for. So if I'm inhaling for 10 seconds, I would hold my breath for 40 seconds, and then you exhale for twice the length, so in this case, 20 seconds. And you would do it for an hour at a time, four times a day. So you have to wake up at sunrise, practice an hour of pranayama, noon, another hour, sunset, another hour, and then midnight, another hour. So that might be great if you were on retreat or at an ashram or spending a long period of time out in nature where you didn't, obviously didn't have to, it was easy for you to get up at midnight and practice four times a day. But also just you had the right, more sattvic environment, more balanced environment. Where we live is not uh, the ideal place, as I said earlier, so we're going to need to alter it a little bit. And this goes for wherever you are. If you were in a very cold environment, you could still practice pranayama, but you'd probably do a lot more bastrika than chitali, or a lot more surya vedana than chana vedana, you know? Yeah, we need to keep that in mind also when we're choosing the pranayamas that we do. You probably notice that I, I think at Tatus we do quite a bit of bromery here. We, we do live in a city, and the city is a pretty rajasic place, it's a pretty vata provoking place. So pranayamas that calm the nervous system are, are kind of a good way to start. A good, um, good one to fall back on. You kind of can't go wrong if you do bromery. Calm the nervous system. We all kind of need a little more calming of the nervous system in society to do that. And then we'll go through these, like I said earlier, and figure out which ones would be appropriate in, in different locations, even different times in our life. Which gets into that last question, when? When is best to practice pranayama? I mean this in a few different ways. Sunrise, noon, sunset, midnight, I was thinking. Advancing. How about, how about as far as in a, in a, in a yoga practice? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Beginning, corner, and end. Before you meditate? Before you meditate? Yeah, you know, it depends. There's, there's, not, there's not a set answer. Classically, it is after Shavasana and before whatever kind of mantra or whatever kind of meditation practice you're doing. It is, in most cases, I feel the best. It's not wrong if you do it earlier or in the middle or whenever. Um, that, that answer can vary. Uh, we, most of us here tend to, I think, do it at the end in preparation for some kind of uh, meditation technique. But it's not wrong. I know my teacher for many years practiced pranayama first thing, and then he would do different kriyas and different uh, mantras and many different meditation techniques, and then he would do asana after that. And the reason was, because he was doing, I don't know how long of breathing, but he was doing like, you know, hour or so of different meditations where it would, it would make him somewhat flighty or, or a little airy or spacey. So his teacher wanted him to do asana at, at the end, the physical stuff at the end to make him more grounded. Um, so it, it's not wrong, and some styles do it that way. Okay, so what we tend to do more here, and what I almost always do is I use the asana practice in a way to, um, in, in some ways anyway, to help with the pranayama practice. I think I think it's it's a little more beneficial that way. And if you are doing some kind of meditation practice, then uh, it's a it's a pretty good way to prepare for that. Working with your breath, as we said earlier, is a, a good way to prepare for any kind of meditation that you are doing. And then, yeah, what's the best time of day? So, you know, depending on which one we're doing, you know, there's there's a certain pranayamas that would be better in the morning, certain that would be better in the evening, certain that would be better during, during the day. So it depends on which one we're doing. Okay, then let's talk about the different types of pranayama. Different techniques. And these are uh, quite a few of them. There's a, there's a few that we uh, 
I guess, left out, but this is a pretty good list to begin with anyway. We're all pretty familiar with Ujjayi Pranayama, yes. And you'll, what you'll notice is in all of these, someplace in our respiratory system, we're creating a valve when we practice pranayama. Because we do, do it's, uh, to some extent, want to control the breath. We want to lengthen, in most cases, we want to lengthen the exhale and or inhale. So somehow we need to create a valve in our respiratory system to do that. So in Nadi Shodhana, your open nostrils like a valve. In Ujjayi, your throat is like a valve. So when I contract it slightly and narrow it, it gives me more control over the breath and helps me to lengthen it. In Shitali, your tongue, you're like a valve. So someplace in the respiratory system, we're creating a valve to help us lengthen and extend the breath. Ujjayi, as I mentioned, your throat is like the person we're all, we're all pretty familiar with. Um, then Anulom Ujjayi. This, now these next two, you don't hear that of that often. Uh, but they are, I find they're pretty helpful, especially when people aren't used to practicing Nadi Shodhana. Anulom Ujjayi is when you inhale like an Ujjayi breath and exhale like a Nadi Shodhana breath. So Ujjayi, inhale, Nadi Shodhana, exhale. I'm not sure why Krishmacharya called it Analom Ujjayi, but at least according to his son, that's what he called it. And then why would someone want to do this? Why would we want to do Ujjayi inhale and Nadi Shodhana exhale? Think of which which has a smaller valve, my, this one, my throat or my open nostril. I can make my nostril real small. I can make my throat, I guess I can't see it, but I can feel it gets pretty small, but not not that narrow. So that's going to give me more control on the exhale. It's going to make it easier for me to lengthen my exhale. So it's too relaxed, right? Most most traditions would say that. And then Balom Ujjayi is the opposite. Balom Ujjayi, again, according to Krishmacharya's son, is when we inhale like a Nadi Shodhana, we inhale through one nostril, and we exhale like an Ujjayi. And I guess, I bet we can guess why we want to do that. So now we'll be able to make the inhale slower. It'll make it easier for us to lengthen the inhale. Because again, we've got a smaller valve in this case, for the inhale. And what I find is, especially when I'm teaching people who are a little bit newer to pranayama, who don't practice much pranayama, if you have them try this next one, Nadi Shodhana, within a minute or two, half the class just kind of puts their hand down. And you're a teacher and you're thinking, what the hell's wrong with this person? Why do they think they're so smart? They don't want to listen to me. Um, what you find is most people, for one reason or another, just can't do it. They start panicking, they get nervous, sometimes they're stuffy, so they, they're not able to breathe through one nostril. So it's really rare that I teach people who are brand new to yoga or brand new to pranayama, really, uh, not each other, because they seem to have problems with it. I want them to try these first, because they're, they're a little easier. And then I don't have to hate anyone. <laughs> but we all do know, do know Nadi Shodhana, alternate nostril breathing. 
So Moni's question was, well, what about people with deviated septums? Or if they're just stuffy on one side? What do you think we should do? Kleenex. Kleenex? <laughs> yeah. Visualization only. Hmm? Visualization only. That's a good one, too. So, uh, and actually, I've got a deviated septum. My right nostril is much more narrow than my left. So, uh, I, I, it would, for a while, I wasn't really able to do it very well. Um, then I was introduced to the neti pot. I did the neti pot every day for a long time. And that helped quite a bit. It helped to clear things out. I also do quite a bit of kapalabhati before I tried Nadi Shodhana. That helped clear things up quite a bit. And also, I learned to, well, I just would keep in mind that whole idea of your nostrils being like a valve. So in most cases, you're going to press down on it. In some cases, you know, kind of pull it open. Like, I remember years ago, I was in Anna Forest class, and if you've taken class with her before, she's not very... Um, not afraid to tell you, just tell you what to do, how it is. And she's not always gentle about it. She would just say, it's, if you can't open it, if your nostril's not open enough, grab the nostril flap with your other hand and pull it open. So for a while I did that and it worked. But after a while I just refined it where I could just use my, in, case, in this case, my thumb to kind of pull open on that part of my face to make it a little more open. So yeah, think about that valve going both ways. You can make it tighter but you can also make it a little bigger too if you're stuffy. And it's, it's a very common problem, something Moni has said. Then what, uh, what is the effect of Nadi Shodhana? Why do we want to do Nadi Shodhana? It, it's generally calming, but it depends maybe a little bit on the ratio that we do, but it's generally calming. Centering, balancing, yeah. As opposed to the other ones where um, they will, you'll be able to it has a little more emphasis on the inhale or exhale. This doesn't. Okay, then pratiloma. Now there's a couple different pratilomas. And it's funny, when you look at books on pranayama or on asana for that matter, different teachers, even if they have the same teacher, will have different names for different things. Like um, in the Ashtanga series, the Tabi Joyce calls certain poses one thing, Iyengar will call the same pose something else. And they have the same teacher. So I'm not sure why sometimes they have different names. Um, and I'm talking about now Pratiloma. I'm thinking of that now because in Light on Pranayama by BKS Anger, I'm pretty sure he calls Pratiloma something else. But Pratiloma, according to Krishmacharya's son, Deskachar, is uh, when we kind of alternate between Nadi Shodhana and Ujjayi. So and we're actually going to do this later. In this Pratiloma, I would start by inhaling through both nostrils, like an Ujjayi breath, then exhaling through one, like a Nadi Shodhana, then inhale through one, the same way I exhale through, and then exhale through both again. That's halfway there. Inhale through both, exhale through the second nostril, inhale through that nostril, and exhale through both again. And, and you can write that down later too. We're going to go over that quite a bit before we practice it. It's somewhat complex, but one reason why I like it so much is because you, you really need to focus, and it is one of the best ways to work into any kind of samyama or any kind of meditation practice because it really focuses your mind while it balances the nostrils and you're able to take deep, full breaths with the ujjayi. So um, there's a little more complex one that we'll work up to. Surya Bhedna is a sun-piercing breath. It's 
continually inhaling through the right nostril and exhaling through the left. Every time you inhale, through the right. Every time you exhale, through the left. So kind of like Nadi Shodhana. Oh, not totally. Who can tell me what kind of effect that has? Why, why would we do it? It's a more masculine or brahman or eating. Because we're men. It has more masculine or it has more masculine effects. It's more heating, a little more stimulating. It's more heating. If you need to build some heat, that's a good way to do it. What are some good reasons why we want to build heat? Like, sure, it is more energizing too. It's a little more uh, purifying. It's a little more energizing. Purifying would be better to do Nadi Shodhana. How about uh, all these students of Ayurveda? Which dosha would benefit? Dosha or dosha is my benefit. Yeah, also bots a little bit in certain circumstances. Who, which dosha type wouldn't want to do this one too much? Yeah. And Brahmari? Mm, the humming breath? Oh, that one. Okay, that one. Mm, yeah. That which, would, would it be a good time? Would, would early morning be a good time to practice Brahmari? Sure. Yeah. Would be a. It's true. Uh, how about nighttime? Sure. Maybe even better, huh? Mm-hmm. What kind of effect would would it have, you think, on the nervous system? Oh, yeah, a little more calming. It's not wrong to do it in the morning, but it wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily wake you up. In the evening, it, it would be a little more beneficial. Okay. <laughs> yes, Pierce. And also, is it they say to do low pitch? You know, some people do a high pitch. <laughs> I'm assuming there's reasons to do the high pitch, but I don't. I don't know why. Usually it's low. Usually it's low because it's, it's, it is definitely you want it to be calming. All right, then you know I I changed this morning. I'm not sure if I spelled this right. You see it spelled a few different ways. Sitkari. Sometimes it's, it's spelled S E E T K R I. Sanskrit for you. But anyway, seat kari, breathing in through the teeth, tongue pressing back teeth so you feel the cool sensation coming over the tongue. Chitali is its sister, pranayama, I guess. Uh, you roll the tongue up like a tube. I think we all know that, right? So if you. But you know what? One's not better than the other. Seat kari is fine. It's just good. It kind of hurts my teeth though because it's kind of sensitive and cool there. Alright, then finally, Bastrika. We're all familiar with Bastrika, maybe. Kind of like a Palabati on steroids. The forceful inhale and exhale has a very cooling effect in the body. <laughs> now, very heating. I guess I should have put that next to Surya Bain, but it's very, a very heating pranayama. Yeah. And for sure, helping us wake up Kundalini right here. <laughs> wake something up, that's for sure. Alright, so I just kind of went over those quickly because I'm, I'm, I kind of think that most of us know all of these to some extent and practice them a little bit. Is there any question about any of these techniques that we need to go over in more detail? No. Contraindications. You know, um, I think contraindications get become more relevant with the ratios and the retentions. 
we went over some like more Ayurvedic kind of uh, contraindications. So like someone who has a lot of hitta or in the summertime, you wouldn't want to do a lot of Astrika or Suryabhita. Same goes, you know, winter, Sitkari, Shitali. The most beneficial. Uh, but uh, the real, I think the real contraindications come into play when we're doing, when we're talking about or suggesting breath retention. And we'll, we will get to that in a minute. Were there other contraindications here? Pregnancy and more blood pressure for Costa Rica. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pre- pregnancy, you wouldn't want to do something where you're crunching or contracting too much here. And yeah, definitely Costa Rica. Um, high blood pressure, heart issues. You wouldn't want to do Costa Rica. And Kapalabhati for that. Anything else? Kapalabhati is just a forceful exhale. The inhale is just kind of passive. Bastrika is a forceful inhale and exhale. So it's it's like twice as stimulating, basically. Alright, so let's talk about, um, for lack of a better term, energetics. The effects that, it really in particular, the inhale and exhale will have. So the first term, Sanskrit term, that we'll talk about in this section is Brahmana. And it means to expand, build, or tonify. And I'm pretty sure most of you have been to a workshop or two of James where he talked about Brahmana effect. Yeah. It means to expand, build, or tonify. So as far as our breath, inhale and exhale. And I guess we might as well look at the next section while we're at it. The inhale, a pause after inhale the exhale or a pause after exhale. What do you think will have a brahmana effect? Inhalation. So it's expanding, it's building, it's tonifying. What's a pause after inhale? Assuming we're pausing after inhale. And then the following term, langana, which is the opposite, which means to lighten or reduce as far as inhale or exhale. Excellent, sure. We're reducing. We're moving something out, right? We're lightening or reducing something. You could just think of reducing carbon dioxide and waste products. I think Deskachar and Heart of Yoga talks about it's reducing the rubbish or toxins that build in the system. And then what about the pause after exhale? You think that would also have a long enough effect? Yeah. But also the lightening or a reducing effect. The pause, assuming we're doing it, pause after exhale. Yes? Usually I uh, hear the word sauna in as like a trio. Does it come into play here? Some, some people do say that, some people don't. I've actually heard um, my teacher, Rod Schreiker, does say that quite a bit. And then um, another teacher said, oh, he's an idiot, he doesn't know what he's talking about. That's not, that doesn't count, it's, not, it's a different thing. Summoner of the Bayou doesn't apply to Lamina and Brahma. So, yeah, you could, I guess you could, you, I do think about Samana being in between, not really building, not really lighting, kind of ba- more balancing. And then finally, uh, ratios. This is kind of important, like I said, especially for this group who, who knows quite a bit about Pranayama already. This is where uh, we need to be a little more careful in practicing and teaching it. 
and also at the same time, what's really going to um, intensify your practice a bit and deepen it, get you to, to deeper levels. So what I mentioned earlier, the very classic ratio in pranayama is one four two zero. I, I omitted the zero earlier, but I'm going to add it now. Perfect. So when we practice pranayama, when we breathe, really, we can inhale. We can pause and inhale or hold after inhale. We can exhale, and we can hold after exhale. And this is going to make all the difference in the world, what ratios we choose to do. Just like different types of pranayama will, some types will calm us, some types will heat us up, some types will cool us down. This is going to be where it can get, um, like I said, more intense in a lot of different ways. Each one of these will have a number when you talk about different ratios. What I mentioned earlier was the ratio of one, four, two, and in this case just zero over there. So this isn't the count, this is just the ratio. A good example would be, what I used earlier is, if I'm inhaling for 10 seconds, in this case I would hold my breath for 40 seconds, hold it in for 40 seconds. I would exhale for twice this length, so 20 seconds. And in this case, since it's a zero, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold it at all after exhale. Sometimes I actually see also that they say the classical ratio, what you should build up to is a one there. Just depends who you ask. So in that case, it would be inhale for 10, hold for 40, exhale for 20, then pause after exhale for 10 again. Uh, you know, for a long time, for years, really, I read this and a number of different pranayama books, and I was a zealot. I was really excited about pranayama. It was going to get me to where I needed to go. And I would, I, I, I wanted to do this, and I think I might have said this before to this, this group. Uh, but I forget which book it was in, actually, but it said this, and it said, you know, so um, a good example is if you're a beginner in pranayama, what you would do is, what you need to do is inhale, stick to this ratio, inhale for 12 seconds, exhale, or hold the breath in for 48, <laughs> exhale for 24. And I said, okay, I'm at least a beginner, right? Because then it said a moderate practitioner, and I'm getting it. It said a moderate practitioner would inhale for 16 seconds. What's 4 times 16? 64. Of course, the trade off. Hold the breath for 64, exhale for 32, and nothing there. That's a moderate. And an advanced practitioner was inhaling for 20 seconds, holding the breath in for 80 seconds, exhaling for 40 seconds, and zero over there. So I looked at it, and I'm it's pretty long. <laughs> and even this meal one, I'm at least a beginner. I'm at least a beginner in pranayama. And you know, if we try to do this right now, I bet most of us could do at least that first one. 
if we did it once. <laughs> but if you do it for five, if you do it for ten minutes, it's not so fun. The first time is pretty easy, but the, the real test is the following breaths. And that's really when you, you, it begins to um, affect you mentally and your nervous system. So yeah, I said, you know, that's, that's pretty intense, but I bet I can build up to that. So, and I did read also that it's, an, it's, a, it's a good idea to kind of build up to it. So, I get my metronome out, clicks once every second, so I know I'm not cheating. Because you can always kind of make the count fit what you want, you know. <laughs> if you count to yourself, you inhale, one, two, three, four, five, and when you hold your breath, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and you exhale, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and you make it fit the count you want. So the metronome doesn't let you cheat. So I would do 